This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. Chris Sanzak and Aaron Camaro. Oh yeah, nothing feels finer than the month of July. Why? Because we celebrate the hottest band in the world, KISS. That's right, this is the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro, and I am always joined by my main dude, He's not here. He's there. He's Chris Sinzak. How's it going? It's going pretty good, man. We've actually been talking a little bit before we started getting this show rolling today because we've been hanging out waiting on our guest. But uh, I guess we'll tell everybody about that in a minute. But, you know, whatever goes on here today, whatever happens, however it goes, just know that this is Kissmas in July and we do the best we can. <laughs> Yeah, we're closing out Christmas in July today. Yeah, man, it's kind of a bummer. You know, we it's the old story. You know, when we first got together all those years ago, and we, of course, then realized we were both huge KISS nerds and said, hey, maybe we should do a KISS show, you know? And so July is really awesome to get to do that, to get to know what it would feel like to be just a KISS show because there's so many awesome ones out there. And it's fun to be one of those for a little bit. But when it gets to be the end of the month, it's kind of sad because I'm going to miss talking about KISS all the time. But wait, we talk about KISS all the time anyway. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of a technicality. Oh, man, we're going to talk our asses off about KISS today. But before we get to all that, you know us, we got to take care of our business. What's our favorite thing? Come on, you know it. It's those sweet reviews and recommendations. We like to get them from Podchaser. We like the Facebook recommendations. We really like the iTunes reviews. And what? What's this? This is different. Well, let's see. There's there's five stars. Hmm. This is a Stitcher review. Chris, are you aware that there's such thing as a Stitcher review? I am today because I had to dig for it because you assholes aren't leaving Apple reviews or Podchaser reviews or Facebook reviews. Ah, I see. 
So now you're in trouble because you haven't been leaving us the reviews. Now I'm going to remind you every single week that there's an extra way that you can leave us a review, and it's on Stitcher. It didn't have to come to this, but you kind of made it go there. So here we are. This one comes to us from Govango. What a name. I like that. Uh, It actually came to us five months ago, so it's about time we visit this. (laughs) This review is entitled, Thank You. Thank you, thank you. And it goes like this. First, let me say I love the podcast. Great music insights, and I love your passion for rock and roll. I'm writing this review to give you a thumbs up for stating what so many are afraid to say. Joan Jett is nothing but a glorified cover band. The fact that she made it into the Hall of Fame really shows what a joke the whole thing is. Before the Runaways... Pat Benatar? The list is endless. Thank you for speaking up. Not that it'll change anything, but it was nice to hear someone else feels the same way. Chris, uh, were you smack-talking Joan Jett about five months ago? I think so. I was drunk, <laughs> so I don't know. I guess I, I, I know I was because... That's harsh, dude. Good, yeah, our good friend BJ Cramp uh, gave me a lot of shit for that comment. But, you know, I just... I'm just saying, popularity-wise, what has Joan Jett done popularity-wise other than cover songs? Oh, yeah, I do remember that. That was a fun one. Nice. (laughs) And we learned a new thing today that you can leave us a Stitcher review. Right along with the iTunes reviews, right along with the Podchase review and the Facebook recommendations. We love them all, especially when they got all five stars like this one does. Go Vango! Thank you. From five months into the future, you rock. Yeah, awesome name, Go Vango. I like that, Go Vango. It's like Zorro. Yeah. And he, I wonder if he wears a mask, and you should be too. Um, Indeed. Yeah. And then our uh, other favorite people, the Geeks of the Week, these people that shared on Facebook and retweeted on Twitter, last week's drunken escapade with Baco. That oh, was boy. a fun episode. Yeah. All right. Geeks of the Week this week are Aaron Martell, James West, Destroyer Senior, Christina Green, Rockin' Ron Runyon, Mike Parnell, Grayson Gallegos, Freeform Rock Podcast, Mark Alden Taylor, Sean Cullen, Keith Rockford, Mikhail Burrell, Matt Porter, The Kiss Room, Warren Edward, LaRue Baker, Andrew Jacobs, Covers and Fire Podcast, and Neil and Obscuria Podcast, Jay Shablewski, White Polar Bear Mount, Hakon Bergstad, Eladio, David Cathy, Alan Deshaun, Deadly Romantics, Bill Elam, Billy Hardaway, Doug, Jared Norlander, J.J. Mack, and as always... The, the Mooger Fooger. That's right. Those are our people. They went out on the internet and they shared last week's episode when we hung out, got drunk with Baco, argued about Kiss. It was a lot of fun. Long well, we remember of it. Long, long edit, but a lot of fun nonetheless. <laughs> I can imagine. So here we are. We find ourselves today, the last week of Kissmas in July, here on the Decibel Geek Podcast. We uh, we had a guest lined up. But we're not sure what happened. We're not mad. You know, shit happens sometimes. So what do you do in a situation like this? Well, it's Kissmas in July, and we've got to deliver the goods. So you know us. We're the biggest Kiss nerds around. We're going to talk about Kiss, just the two of us, just me and Chris, all episode long. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, and if, if we're already inebriated, that's our guest's fault that didn't show up because it's been we've been waiting a while. But... uh 
Yeah, so like, you know, then Tony Moorhead, who was he was security on the KISS reunion tour, he was gonna join us for whatever reason. We haven't heard back from him. We've tried to call a number of times. Something may have come up. Right. Um if Tony decides to re- reschedule, we will definitely get him on the show. Uh you wanted the best, you got the best, but you're stuck with Aaron and I. That's right. And we're gonna save all your questions, so eventually when we do get a hold of Tony, we'll be able to use yours and we'll let you know at that time. If you got any more in the meantime, you can let us know. Yep. All right. So I mean here we are. It's the uh last week of Kissmas in July, and we're just gonna shoot the breeze about Kiss. I think you guys know our story. You know, I've been listening to Kiss since I was a little tiny kid. Chris, you've seen the picture of me with the Kiss guitar, right? Yep, and your skivvies. Little tiny kid, like two, three years old, and I got a Kiss guitar. It was just one of them things that my Aunt Pam and my Uncle Bruce, you know, my mom's sister and my dad's brother, they had Kiss records, and they played Kiss records. They played all kinds of cool stuff for me. I learned about ACDC. I learned about Ozzy, you know, all these great things, Iron Maiden, that I learned from my aunt and my uncle. Pink Floyd, I mean, the list goes on and on. They were so awesome. And... You know, from a little bitty kid, I was just fascinated. You know, the music got me. The visual aspect of it got me. Looking at the album cover artwork got me. Everything about Kiss, you know, it was just, it was everything to me. And so growing up, then it was always Kiss, Kiss, Kiss. You know, it was the most important thing probably in the world to me. My parents probably thought there was something wrong with me. They probably questioned themselves by ever letting me, you know, get into Kiss, by ever buying me that little toy guitar, by ever buying me the records. And, you know, it was just a different time. When I was little, my happiest place in the world was sitting in front of somebody's turntable with a, with the headphones on, you know. Maybe that's why I'm so comfortable with them on now. I think the cool thing about it is, you know, you learn this over the years, especially doing the podcast or being a part of a community like this where you're friends with so many different KISS fans. And I think Dr. Fuck, a couple of weeks ago, Ralph Vieira put it best and said, it's all about where you come in. You know, yeah. is what's important to you. So, you know, there's a lot of people that say, oh, I'm a fan of this band. Oh, I'm a fan of that band. But how many bands are there where they're so divisive within it? You know, I'm a fan of this part of that band, but not that part. But I like this part of this band, but I don't right. like that. You know, and it's really cool because that makes Kiss cool and unique. And so where I came in as a little kid listening to Kiss Alive 2 and Double Platinum, my co-host, Chris Sinzak, discovered Kiss through crazy nights and MTV. God, you know, when I was big into like a lot of the hair bands, Bon Jovi, Rat, Poison, a lot of those bands. And, you know, it was one of those things where I started seeing videos from the crazy nights album. And at the time, I mean, and the mission accomplished as far as Paul and Gene were concerned, because to me, I was like, well, this fits in with everything else that's out at this time. So it didn't seem that out of, out of whack that kiss was getting airplay at the same time as those bands. So, You know, they kind of succeeded with me. Um, the funny thing is, I knew who they were before, obviously, but um, I thought they were kind of a joke because of the whole clown makeup thing and everything. And, like, I, I had a neighbor across the street that loved them, and he loved all the makeup stuff. And I'd just be like, oh, they suck. And then, like, when they, I'd see the Crazy Nights era videos, I'm like, oh, they're much better now. And he was still a fan at that time, too, but he's just like, oh, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then my brother... Yeah, my brother was best friends with him, so my, you know, he had given my brother the uh, vinyl copy of a lot. And this, God, this story has been told too many times. But right. my my brother was like, "Oh, you need to listen to this," and that that's when I discovered original kit. But like getting into them in the eighties, like 
after you know Crazy Nights came out, that was when I'd go to the video store and find Animalized Live Uncensored. Yeah. And I would read it on a weekly basis. And I think that's the cool thing about you and me, too, is because we're real close to the same age. So even though, you know, I knew about Kiss at an age when I should have been watching Scooby-Doo, I was I'm basically on the same timeline with you. I just, you know, caught up where you jumped on, you know. And so at that age where you're in a kiss, I already know about kiss, but we're at the same age. So we're both first starting to really Mm -hmm. find our own, you know, and that's the cool thing about being a teenager in the era of kiss, you know, whether it was in the seventies, the eighties, the nineties, or even nowadays, it's cool because if you're a kiss fan, you become a part of something and it's bigger than you, but there's been a history to it, you know? And so you can meet somebody that's 40 years older than you and be like, you like kiss. I like kiss too. You know, that's beautiful. I love that. Well, the, and it's funny when I, in retrospect, because kiss is known for anthems and showmanship. So two bands that are not kiss that I have to thank for kind of opening the door for me to be open to that. were twisted sister, obviously for the showmanship and for the anthems. And also, Quiet Riot, because Come On, Feel the Noise was one of the first rock videos I saw on MTV. And there's no bigger anthem than Come On, Feel the Noise. So I guess I should thank Slade, really. But uh, so like it was kind of a combination of like, wow, catchy songs, very visual. And it was just a step up from like Michael Jackson and stuff like that. Because I was into pop. I was a big Michael Jackson fan as a little kid. Right. Um, I love Duran Duran. But, you know, but like Twisted Sister, all the Twisted Sister videos, I want to rock, we're not going to take it, burn in hell, the stuff like that, that kind of got me into like the theatrical thing. And then combine that with Quiet Riots, Come On, Feel the Noise, and then, you know, a buddy gives me Motley Crue, um, Theater of Pain, and then I get Doc and Tooth and Nail, and then before I know it, I'm getting into Kiss because of Dial MTV. So, like, if without Dial MTV, I would have never really discovered Kiss. So, like, that was... That was kind of the lead up to me getting into them. See, and that's where it's kind of opposite for me because all those bands, all the bands that I've ever spent money on ought to thank Kiss because Kiss was the thing that opened everything else up to me, you know, made me a fan of other things. There's bands that I would have never checked out in my lifetime had they not had some sort of connection to Kiss and then fall in love with those bands, you know the Vinnie Vincent invasion on the slaughter, you know, things like that, you know, bands that, I don't know. It's just cool because kiss has got such a strong history and so many in and out characters throughout the whole thing that it becomes kind of like the, uh, what was the album that had the family tree in it? Uh, alive three, wasn't it? You remember seeing that for the first time? Very. I, I was dating a girl at the time who bought it for me for my birthday. Cause it was, or no, it wasn't my birthday, but it was around release day that she bought it for me. And I remember unfolding it, and like I read through that thing, must have been a hundred times. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, Paul was in a band called Uncle Joe, and Ace was in a band called Molimo. It was it was interesting. Yeah, that's pretty wild. I love that. I love that so much. Because that's the thing, too. You know, it, it's cool if you were there from the very beginning. If you were old enough to see the early stuff, if you're old enough to see them in the makeup in the 70s, that's awesome. But we got a unique perspective where everything was – Kiss became like a world of discovery. Like I was telling the story last week with Baco about finding Dynasty 
at the Intersleeve Records in Wausau, Wisconsin and pulling it out. And it's an old record. You know, I was born in 75. This came out in 79. I'm buying this at probably around the same time that I'm buying smashes, thrashes, and hits. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, what is this? You know, and it's the makeup kiss and being like, oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And there's always so much with this band that there is to discover. You know, a lot of bands, they're awesome musicians. They write great songs, and that's it, you know. But with Kiss, there's so much to absorb, you know. And I think that's what makes them one of the most popular and and a band that has the most diehard fans anywhere. I got to believe it. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned smashes, thrashes, and hits because I remember – so, like, I gotten into Kiss around 88, 87, 88, somewhere around there. And so, obviously, I'm, like, really hungry for something new. And Smashes came out. Was it 89 that Smashes came out? I think, I think. so. Yeah, around in there. Or somewhere around there. And, like, the MTV had a show called Mouth to Mouth. It was, like, a talk show for rock stars. And Paul came on there. And I remember being just so excited to see Paul Stanley on this show. Because, like... When you first get into Kiss, any TV appearance was like major fucking event for you. Right? You yeah, know? for sure. Kids nowadays don't realize how that is, where it's like it just shows up on your phone. No, you got to be there. You yep. know, if you gotta if you gotta skip school to watch Peter Chris on Donahue, you fucking do it. You know, because <laughs> exactly. you're never gonna have that opportunity again. <laughs> and he came on that show, and I remember. The interview, the guy doing the interview was kind of like smarmy and sarcastic, but I liked it though because he kind of he could he was giving Paul kind of kind of giving it back to him a little bit, and it was a funny interview. I actually used to have it on VHS. I wonder if that's on YouTube because I haven't seen it in years. But like I remember, there's being a lot of get back and forth, and like Paul talking about Eric Carr, and like Eric's been in the band more longer than Peter, and the guy's like, "Well, don't talk down to Peter like that." <laughs> I remember that, Aww. and. uh at the end of the show, there's this cringeworthy rendition of Paul solo playing rock and roll all night with a little... Remember the headless Steinberger guitars like Vito Brada had? Yeah. And Paul was playing like the body glove guitar. That's what a lot of Kiss fans call it. Yeah, yeah. And I remember really wanting a Steinberger purely because Vito Brada and Paul Stanley played one, but which now they haven't aged that well. But um, I remember watching that and... Um, I remember Smashes was kind of my introduction to a lot of the classic songs. Obviously, Alive was because my brother gave me Alive. But like Smashes had a lot of the the stuff post-Alive that I had heard for the first... The first time I heard I Love It Loud was from the Smashes version, which is not the best because it's the drum machine. Yeah. Um, And I remember my brother would drive me to high school... And I don't know if my brother was really as into the band as I was, but he kind of like played along with me and we would blast I Love It Loud from Smashes in his truck. He had like the truck with the gr- with the ground effects. You remember ground effects sure. on truck? Yeah, yeah. And uh we'd park at the high school and like and just blast kiss stuff. And the women would just come a running. Not really. <laughs> um and like a couple of people would get it, but most people were like, "Oh God, you're playing Kiss! What the fuck?" But uh, yeah, I remember Smashes was kind of my intro to a lot of post Alive material. I remember Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits being kind of a problem for me at the time. I knew it was coming out. I was excited about it. Didn't really know what it was, and then once I realized what it was, it's like, man, I already have albums with all these songs on it, you know. But I wanted to hear Eric 
Eric Carr sing Beth so bad. I don't know why. I don't know if I thought it was going to be better. I don't know. Like that was my first time hearing the song. Really? Wow. Yeah, I know. I heard Beth with Eric Carr before I ever heard it with Peter Chris. Oh, wow. Yep. What ended up selling me on buying that album, and again, you know, I, I mentioned this store. It's come up on the show throughout the years, Sleeve Records in Wausau, Wisconsin. It was, I, I wonder what that guy thought of me, because here is this young kid coming in here with his, you know, allowance money. You know, I had to earn it. It wasn't just allowance, but... Coming in with my money, a little bit at a time, looking for Kiss stuff. Why is this little kid in here looking for Kiss stuff all the time, you know? And what sold me on Smash Thrashes and Hits was the gatefold picture disc. Mm. It had Kiss in full makeup on one side, and it had the cover of the album on the other side. And the and it was like, that was the first picture disc I think I really ever saw. You know, it was the first Kiss one I ever saw for sure. And I had to have it, you know, and it didn't matter if it was, you know, all all songs I already knew. Because I didn't know they were different versions. I didn't know nothing about anything. Uh, yeah, it's funny you mentioned the Smashes picture disc. I don't know if you remember this from our, remember when we had Jimmy Pardo over to your house? Yeah. And like, I, was, I referenced this because he was on Pat Francis's show. And I just, it cracked me up that, because like, it, it was the true statement of what a normal Kiss fan would say. Because he's like he's on Pat's show, and they go they they're going through the catalog, and they get to the point of smashes, thrashes, and hits, uh-huh. and and Jimmy goes, "Oh man, this album sucks so much." They had Eric Carr have to fucking re-record Beth. Uh-huh. They put drum machines on the whole thing, and it just like it's a terrible mix on everything. I have the picture disc. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're such a Kiss fan. <laughs> exactly. You know, and that's that's what's awesome is so many KISS fans listening to this can totally relate with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll buy something we think is absolute garbage if it's like a certain special edition. Right. It's really if, it's, if it's cool, you know, that that's the thing about <laughs> KISS, you know, hey, hey, you've heard this song a hundred times, but look how cool this looks. You're like, yeah. I'm in. You know? <laughs> I remember I had, um, I was really into picture discs for a while and this was back in my drug days, but like I had a, a glow in the dark creatures of the night original cover, glow in the dark vinyl. It was picture disc. Oh wow! And, and I wound up selling it off to get money for drugs. Was it a bootleg <laughs> or was that an actual thing? I think it was official. Oh wow! I, I could be wrong. Somebody will correct me. I'm sure if I'm if I am, but I had it and I love that thing and. uh I sold it for fucking drug money. It's wow. fucking stupid. When you started telling that story, the first image that popped into my mind is you high on drugs staring at a picture disc as it spins on the turntable. <laughs> I did that a few times, too. <laughs> yeah, I can understand it with an album like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I used wow. to have that thing hanging up in my... I mean, I, I found some old pictures. I need to share those on the uh, the Facebook and the Patreon and everything. I found some old pictures in my bedroom from high school with all the kiss stuff all over the walls it's pretty funny to funny to look at right on when i was in the sixth grade you know how i don't know if you did this in your school we had they were like uh like empty cans that you would use as your mailbox and so you'd have you'd have to decorate it it was basically the same thing as doing like a valentine's day box you know where you'd have to decorate it up and then the kids would put valentines in your boxes Right. In the sixth grade, I made one, and I cut out pictures out of a magazine, 
and made it into an Ace Fraley box in the sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> My Aunt Pam had married a guy named Andre, and he had this giant stack of old hit paraders. Man, what I would do to have that stack of the magazines. Now, I have no idea if he found them somewhere or if it was something he collected over the years. It had to have been something that didn't mean nothing to him because he just gave them to me. And I would cut those things up and make posters and, you know, take different things and make collages and hang them on the walls. And, you know, you, you ever, when you got to junior high, then you had uh, lockers, yeah. you know, and then you'd have to decorate the inside of your locker door, right? Yep. I had the picture of Ace Fraley with the, with the weird synthesizer guitar, with the weird, the pink sunglasses with his hand over his mouth. Oh, that was the um, I think it's called a bikini bikini guitar. He's also does some elder shots with that guitar. Yeah, you remember Trapper Keepers, right? Oh yeah, I had, I totally would put Kiss stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, so you'd slice the plastic top of the the Trapper Keeper and pull out whatever dumb unicorn or pitcher or whatever is in there, yep. <laughs> and it was perfect size to slide right in a pitcher like an eight by ten out of a magazine. Yeah. Well, had, you remember um I had the coolest looking trapper keepers cuz they were all Ace Frehley from like Hit Parader magazines in 1978, you know. I remember I had uh, a trapper keeper with um do you remember the photo session they did from uh it's like the live era with uh them in London in front of Big Ben like on London Bridge? Yeah, yeah. So I had a photo of that. <laughs> and I had that in my trapper keeper and I'll never forget this. I had this guy that and i was a bit of a jock in school but this other guy who was a jock and this girl that i was really wanting to date were sitting together and like i had that on my trapper keeper and the guy looked at it and she's like oh is that kiss and i'm like yeah and he's like yeah whatever turns chris on i guess <laughs> oh, he beat his ass in front of her <laughs> uh, i didn't i cowered like a puss here's a good one for you this <laughs> This is fun. This is like kiss memories of, I'm sure, I've just, I gotta imagine people out there going, yep, I get it. I totally get it. When I was in, let's see, it had to have been seventh grade, just getting into the junior high. There was, they had a football team, but then they had like the juniors, you know, the, the little kids that would try to play. And then they'd pick out the best players and shuffle them through the system. Well, I wasn't one of those players, but I had a lot of heart, but not a lot of enthusiasm for football. I just loved the game. But I wasn't that good at it. I wasn't that big. But I wore glasses. And I thought, well, I can, you know, Eric Dickerson style wear my glasses inside my helmet, you know. And, and the <laughs> coaches, they fucking laughed at me and shit. I was a little rock kid. You know, I loved football, but I had no business out there trying to play it. And they laughed at me all the time. And then we got in this thing where you could uh, you'd get a piece of the white tape that you'd put around your wrist. And you'd write a nickname on it, a cool nickname, and put it on your helmet. And I'll never forget how the coaches all laughed and snickered at me the day I showed up with War Machine written on my helmet. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you're a War Machine, all right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I, I, that was, I mean, you know, those were the days. And, you know, I and it was funny. I, I guess we should talk about this because last week was the um, – 30th anniversary of my first kiss show yeah i saw that on the facebook man that's super cool yeah hot in the shade tour nashville 1990 and uh danger danger and slaughter open great great concert i'll never forget it's one of those like certain like concerts are burned into your memory like i remember like the what the air felt like i remember the environment i remember all of it and uh 
Bruce Kulick even commented on the post, which kind of blew me away. Oh, nice. I didn't see that. What did he say? Well, I, I had posted – I just found a, a random picture from the Hot in the Shade tour. Cause I, one of my biggest regrets is I didn't take a camera that day. It's like I, I didn't even yeah. bother. And uh, so I just found a cool shot from the stage, and he just put, cool picture. And I was just like, it's not mine, but thank, you guys were great. But uh, that was an amazing show. Is there ever a drug that you've tried – that replicates the feeling of seeing Kiss for the first time? Like, I don't know, did the curtain drop that first show when you seen them? No, there, I don't think there was a curtain on that show. They just come storming out when that when them first riffs hit. Like, the first time ever you're getting to see Kiss. I mean, you've been anticipating this for years at this point, right? Oh, you know? it was huge. Cocaine I don't think there is anything close. on earth that replicates <laughs> a feeling like that. Uh, cocaine's pretty close. I don't um, know, man. I don't know, because I remember the same thing, my first Kiss concert. I remember things about it that, you know, you think about other stuff. You don't remember details like that, about things like that. I remember it was cold. I remember I had my leather jacket. I remember running, you know, to the front and grabbing a hold of the barricade and be like, holy shit, I'm front row at Kiss, you know, and then have no idea that I got a long ways to go to get through this night. And while it was cold outside and you needed that leather jacket, you're inside now and you're about to burn up. Did you... <laughs> Did you stay front row for that show? You damn eventually? right I did. Oh, that's awesome, dude. You damn right. Oh wow. man, I paid the price, but I was there. I got crushed, must, but I that mean, must have been mind blowing. It was unbelievable. It was unfreaking believable. And the only thing that I can ever really compare to it is seeing Kiss on the reunion tour. I made a comment on uh, on an Ace Frehley fan group, a really cool one. And they were asking about, like, what Ace Frehley song makes you cry. And I was like, well, I don't know about any songs making me cry, but I'll never forget the very first time when Kiss comes out and Ace Frehley's in the band and he's full spaceman, you know, and it's like, this is my whole life has led to this moment. (laughs) (laughs) This is all I've ever lived for, you know, like if I had died at that moment, that would have been just fine, you know, I would have been okay. But, uh, yeah, how cool, you know. There's there's nothing quite like it because, like I said, it's different times. Like a kid nowadays could never understand that, and I don't know if what it would take to give a a kid nowadays that feeling when everything's so instant. But it was years and years and years in the making. And being a Kiss fan from being a little bitty kid, growing up, you know, becoming a teenager, learning more about the band, finding out more music, discovery, discovery all the time, get to the age where it's like, wow, you know, now they're still around and they're still coming out with new music and this is great, but, you know, to yearn for what it used to be, you know, because Ace Fraley's not in the band, Peter Chris not in the band, you know, and Eric Carr's not in the band and, you know, so many in and outs of this band. When it finally happened, it was just I don't know, man. It's so hard to describe. How many listeners out there right now, I'm sure, going, Aaron, I know exactly what you mean. You can't put it to words. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember. Uh, yeah, I mean, we were. it's one of those things where it's like you can't explain it to people that are around now but that, are, like, didn't, that weren't around then because the anticipation was a, a big thing. Like everything is so instant now, so – Back then, you know, you waited months for this for that day to come. So, I remember all the excitement, like for Hot in the Shade tour. I remember all the excitement of waiting for that fucking day to come, and then finally it came, and and seeing all of it unfold. And then also on the Revenge tour, I remember that was 
that was an amazing show, and that was at Municipal Auditorium here in Nashville. And that's a small venue here, so yeah, um, you know, there's like no more than like six thousand people. It was packed, but um, but it was not a big venue, and to see that show live, I mean the. And then I get, and then I, you know, and then a year or two, it's one of, one of those things where at the time I don't notice it, but like they went from Starwood Amphitheater, which was huge. Right. Then they go to Municipal Auditorium, which is smaller. It's about half the, the amount of attendant, attendees that Starwood had. Oh, for sure. And then they go, and then they play the Gibson Guitars 100th Anniversary Show on the riverfront on a floating barge. And it's like, if you look at it from a business standpoint, it's like, wow, they were really going downhill fast. Right. And then, you know, two two years later, or a year later, they're playing a fucking hotel ballroom for the convention tour. But like, when but you're then, a fan, but it wasn't too long after that where they're right back at the Starwood oh, Amphitheater again. But like. For a fan that's like 14 years old, you don't think about that. You just think Kiss is coming to town. Mm-hmm. And um, the most important like, band in the world is coming. But they were, but that man, that, that Bruce Kulik, Eric Singer lineup was such a damn killer. They were so fucking good. I mean, there's, they're all good. I mean, you really yeah. can't look at an era of Kiss and be like, that one sucks. None of them suck. No, I don't. I, I can't say there's ever a bad lineup of the. Well, I guess the closest I could come to would be maybe the Dynasty tour because of what I've seen on tape. But I didn't attend one of the shows, so I can't really say anything with an expert opinion. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that one. You know what? I think that's the coolest thing about Kiss. So much to it. Like for example, like my Kiss timeline. I'm a little bitty kid. I hear the music. And then from there, it's looking at the inner sleeve or looking at the inner gatefold of Kiss Alive 2. And then it's asking for Kiss records and getting the Kiss guitar and then getting older and kind of getting away from Kiss. And then all of a sudden, one day in Saturday school, which is like, I guess, catechism for Lutherans, um, the preacher brings in the pamphlet from the brothers from Minnesota talking about the evils of rock and roll music. And, you know, the rest of the kids are all saying their favorite bands. And he's like, nope, nope, nope. And I just think of Kiss. You know, I got all the record, old records of Kiss that I haven't listened to for a while, but they're up in my closet. You know, so I go, well, I like Kiss. And he's like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) So it made me immediately immediately run home and pull those records down off the shelf and start listening to them again. And then from there, it was just off, you know. And then learning from Uncle Bruce. When he presented me with Animal Eyes, that they don't have makeup, they don't have Ace, they don't have Peter, everything's changed, and then it's trying to learn, you know, because yeah. you're I just got reintroduced to this band again, and now I'm older and can understand can enjoy it in a different way as I did when I was a little kid. When I was a little kid, it was just listening to it, looking at it, and that was it. Yeah. You know, but now there's a whole new world. You know, why don't they have makeup on anymore? What happened to this guy? Where'd that guy go? And then you learn, you know, oh, there's an album coming out called Fraley's Comet. And that was a big thing for me, too, as a kid, because I really looked forward to that. And there's so much to it. You know, there's the mystery of what do they look like? You know, nowadays, a band could never get away with that. Back then, it made it so unique. You know, that put a whole different aspect to Kiss that no other band before or really since has ever been able to employ. You know, what do they really look like? Yeah. I don't know that I've ever asked you this. Like, 
so the first kind of inkling we all had that, the, well, I mean, I guess we had an inkling that the reunion tour was going to happen when Unplugged happened. Right. But That's when they did the, the Grammy ever. When they did the Grammy appearance, were you watching the Grammys when it happened? You damn right I was. Because so did you because we got did, heads up ahead of time that it was happening somehow. I don't remember I, if it was in a magazine or if it was on something I saw on TV or what it was that clued me off to it, but I knew it was happening. So I was at my parents' house and I'm watching it intently. And my dad's there and he's like, What's the big deal? You know? <laughs> right. What's the big deal? <laughs> See, I didn't know it was gonna happen. No? No, I was I was working at Pizza Hut at the time. I was a cook there. And I remember I finished my shift and I was w- driving home. I'll never forget this. I was driving home. I was getting ready to get off my exit. And the guy who was the singer in my band called me. Um, uh, and I had a br- – <laughs> remember the old brick cell phones? Yeah, yeah. I had a brick cell phone. Oh, and wow. he goes – I just saw Kiss on the Grammy Awards, and they were like the the it was the original band with makeup, and I'm like, what? And and I said, what did they look like? He goes, they looked old and fat. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> he was never a big fan, but uh, that was another I, part of being a Kiss fan in like our era was yeah. how everybody else would give you shit, and oh, if yeah. you had one friend that understood he was the coolest dude you ever knew. I had a friend named Jason, and I'll never forget how I met him. I'm sitting with my buddies at the lunch table in in junior high, and this dude, he's a grade above us, you know, long-haired dude, you know, comes walking up and goes, hey, I heard you got the elder on LP, you know? So it must have been something I was running my mouth about, and, you know, none of my friends care. But this guy came out of his way to come ask me that, and I was like, yeah. I, what about it? <laughs> How cool I, is that? You know, kids yeah. today will never know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. Well, I knew a guy that um, friends for life. I knew a guy in high school. And he was a total burnout. He was like in the same grade as me, but he was like four years older. And uh, I think his name was Billy. I don't know why I remember that, but like he was like, yeah, I've got a VHS tape with some old Kiss stuff, and I've got I've got a video for Shandy, and I was like, "What? Wow. Like you got a video for Shandy?" I was like, "I have to see this," and the, and like he act, and that was the first time I saw the Shandy video, but like he, his the VHS tape he had was so degenerated that it was in black and white. But I remember I, the first time I saw Shandy on video was that. Wow, and uh, that was a wild thing. But like I yeah like. Kiss fans were very few and far between in the early 90s. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you ever heard or seen about Killers? Killers? I don't know exactly the first time I... mm. Because I was thinking about Killers the other day, and I was trying to remember, did I know about Killers before and was seeking it out, or did I just see it in the Pomita that day? Because I remember seeing it on cassette. This is... How cool it is to be a Kiss fan. I can remember something so stupid and this should be so trivial but was so important. In a Pomita in Merrill, Wisconsin, Killers on cassette tape, that's got Kiss songs on it I've never heard before. I have yeah. to have it. I think um, 
I knew about Killers, but I hadn't bought it yet. Like, it was hard to find. I remember yeah. it was hard to find. Yeah, yeah. I think it had to have been something I knew about and was constantly yeah. on the lookout for. And it's not like nowadays, well, oh, that's cool. Let me let me look that up on Amazon. Let me look that up on eBay. No, you had to actually go to the Pomida and hope like hell they had yeah. something like that, you know? I remember the first time I bought Killers was at a Turtles record shop in Nashville. Nice. I remember and- Turtles. They had it on. It was like an it was an import CD, which meant that I had to pay like fucking thirty five dollars to yeah, buy it. Yeah. But but I remember I was like, it's got like four songs I've never heard. Right. So I have to buy it. <laughs> so I bought it, and I remember "Nowhere to Run" being the only song that I thought was really redeemable. The rest of them I did, especially part. I remember "Partners in Crime." I absolutely hated when I first heard it. I hated. I think it. I was just so excited to finally get this thing. And yeah. hear the songs. I loved them all right off the bat. Well, I thought it was cool to have that cover because it was the it was like the elder era, but right. it was a hard it was like a hard rock record. Um, that's it's funny enough. Let's fast forward a little bit. That's the same Turtles record store that I bought Psycho Circus on on release day. Is it on and Gallatin I, Road? Huh? Turtles on Gallatin Road? No, it was on West End. Okay, it was like. Do you remember? Do you remember Stone Mountain? It was like a heavy store. See, you know, and I moved down here at the mid two thousands. So, I mean, I've got a whole shitload of oh, okay. CDs in my collection with turtle stickers on it. Do you remember? Um, I'm thinking of you, Cats music. Well, do you do you remember uh, where Tower Records was on yes. West End? Yeah. So it was like Tower Records was here, and then if you go a little further close closer to Broadway. Um, Stone Mountain was like at a house there, and then Turtles was right there. Gotcha. But um, but like the funny thing is about this, I don't know if I've ever told this on the show before. I went on a blind date with a girl around the time before Psycho Circus came out because, and I don't remember how the fuck I even hooked up with this girl. It was a terrible date. Like so, there was no chemistry there, and and to be quite honest, she was out of my league. But. We hung out at a place called the Underground in Nashville, but she was telling me, and she could have been full of shit, I don't know, but she was telling me at the time that she had, not that she had hooked up really with, like, sexually with Paul Stanley, but she had lunch with Paul Stanley at a place called the, it was a place called Arthur's in Union State, you know where Union Station is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is all regional humor that won't go, that'll go over, like, 95% of our audience's head, but, um... She had lunch with him there because she was a big Kiss fan, and he let her hear a cassette of Psycho Circus demos. Oh, wow. And she was talking about, oh, it's the greatest thing they've ever done, and like she was like so excited about it. So, which, of course, that, that Turtles is the same place like six months later that I bought Psycho Circus, which I was incredibly disappointed in. But, yeah, like I, I thought that... I thought she was giving me the scoop, and it turns out she wasn't. See, I learned something about myself here today when we're talking about killers and we're talking about Psycho Circus. I think the anticipation really clouds my judgment sometimes at first because, man, I loved the whole – well, all four – well, I love the whole thing at Killers because all the songs are on it, but the four new songs, I love them. But Psycho Circus, I remember that because I was working on radio at the time, and – the main DJ, Nick Summers, he was also a big Kiss fan. He comes to me and goes, 
Well, here it is, the moment you've been waiting for. And I said, well, what, what is it? And he hands it to me, and it's Psycho Circus, and it's weeks before it's ever released. And I was like, oh, shit, yeah, yeah, dude, can I play some of this? And he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Did I end up playing uh, Into the Void that night? Yeah. <laughs> such a troublemaker. <laughs> but I was so excited. Like, immediately I ran into the studio – Plugged in my headphones, cranked it up, and listened to Psycho Circus. But that those were the times, you know. This was, this was what you've been waiting for all these years. You know, it sucks now and looking at it and what it is, what a letdown Psycho Circus is, and how good it should have been. Yeah. But so looking forward to that. I mean, because then it happens. I mean, the Kiss Unplugged was like the greatest thing ever. You oh, know, yeah. I watched that live. I was so excited for it. Ace and Peter come out. You know, and we saw that, and like I always say, it was my me and my buddy Jason. I was the dude that asked me about the elder. We were, we were, we became inseparable over Kiss. You know, because mm-hmm. then it was Kiss. Oh, you also like Poison. Oh, you also like this. Oh, you also like that. Well, how about this? Well, how about that? You know, he was the dude that when uh, Hot in the Shade and Trouble Walking came out, we somehow decided who was going to buy what, and then burn somebody else a you know, cassette copy of each other's, you know what I mean? That was the kind of friend, that was my kiss friend, you know? We we made a movie one time, and I swear I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go up to Wisconsin, and I'm going to make him give me the video cassette, and I'm going to take it somewhere and make him put it on digital for me. We made a movie called Mr. Blackwell. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, and it was just the three of us. It was myself, my friend Jason, and my little brother Eric, and we wrote out a little script, and filmed it with my parents camcorder and uh made a movie called mr blackwell where mr blackwell was the villain of it it was like a horror movie so someday i will have that released on decibel geek tv as soon as i talk to my friend jason and get him to let me do that but uh i mean (laughs) that's what kind of kiss nerds we were and so you know the unplugged happens ace and peter back holy shit you know and then from there like you said then it goes to the grammy awards and then the thing with conan o'brien and then they're coming back and then tickets are on sale you know it was it was a dream come true a literal dream come true because that had been what i had been dreaming about it seemed like for as long as i remember my uncle bruce showing me the animalize album and realizing ace ain't on it and then buying the next one and be like well this is cool too but ace ain't on it oh ace is doing his separate thing oh okay well i'm gonna get that too you know but the two of them always coexisting but never together you know and that was always the dream and it was finally happening you know how many other rock bands do people have experiences like this where it carries through their whole lives and you remember such important parts of your life based on that band you know it's it's kiss baby yeah well i remember the when the intrepid press conference happened mtv covered it heavily and uh i remember i had a v i don't think i still have it which is unfortunate but i had a vhs tape that contained the oj verdict (laughs) and the announcement of the reunion tour from the intrepid that's timely there yeah i know it's like a true time capsule um but i used to watch that shit because like i was very caught up in the oj trial but uh like the once i saw unplugged i was like okay 
It's going to happen. I, I think a lot of us had that same feeling. Like, there's going to be the, the reunion's now going to happen. I think for me, it was like, please, please let it happen. Don't let this just be a tease. Yeah. Let this please, you know, with the the makeup and the the full costumes and the old songs and the original members. I mean, please let this happen. I'm sure I prayed for it. Oh sure, and um, there was like a little, and I still live in. It's funny how things come around because. You know, I've lived a lot of places since hot, since college, but in college, I, I live in Murfreesboro, Tennessee now, and that's where I lived in college. And there's a, it was a little place, it's not there anymore, but it was in a strip mall shopping center, and they sold records and CDs and tapes, and they had bootleg VHS concert tapes. And that was where I was able to pick up the K Rock Weenie Rose tape. At that place. Right and on. then I also picked up... So I picked up that first after the reading tour announcement. And, like, so I watched the reading... I would watch that thing fucking religiously. And then they had, like, the Four Nights at Madison Square Garden. They had all these different shows. And that was my only way to really check out the reunion tour. Because, you know, mass media did cover Kiss, but not to the point where it is now. It was even harder. It was very hard then. And... um the Weenie Roast was an interesting show. I don't know if you've seen the bootlegs of it, but like there was a lot of technical problems on that show. Like yeah. they 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 played uh was it they played Love Gun, I think, second in the set, and they at the beginning of the song, the ending pyrotechnics went off and you could see oh. Paul just shaking his head. And um but like it was it was an interesting show. And then uh, once they announced, like, they went through the whole first leg. And Nashville, Nashville's more of an A market now, but back then it was definitely still a B market. So they went through the whole first market, and, you know, and I didn't have the money. I was a broke college student, so I couldn't go to Louisville or Atlanta to see them play. And once they announced the second, I guess it was called the Lost Cities Tour, that's when Nashville got put on the on the list, and uh, I I'll never forget buying tickets for that. And that and I've told the story on the show. Like my dad died the week before they came here, so I almost didn't go. My family kind of talked me into it because it was like you need a reprieve from all this mess. Go go watch the show and have fun. And it was like the it was the only two hours in like a two week period that I didn't want to fucking kill myself. Right. I mean, because even on top of that, surely your dad has known, you know, that oh, yeah. this is the moment you've been waiting for since you since 1989. You know. <laughs> oh, absolutely. 87. Yeah. Um, right. But yeah, like I and I, you know, it's there was a uh, a Kiss bootleg video called the it was called a Kiss of Visual Evolution 1973 to 90 something at the time. Yeah. And uh, it was like a little cool fan-made documentary. And I remember that part of that was the ABC in concert and the, the uh, Mike Douglas show and where they performed uh, Firehouse. Yeah. And I, and I remember watching that with my dad and my dad going, oh, wow, they're doing like Beatles songs, but with like more theatrics. So it was like one of those things where like my dad actually got it, you know. Right and um, because before then he was just like, oh god, it's a bunch of guys in clown makeup. But when he actually heard the music, he was like, oh, I get it. You know, he's like, they're Beatles fans. I get it. And he was a Beatles. He was a huge Beatles fan. So, um, but yeah, getting to go to that show was 
you know, and we, you know, we were going to have Tony Moorhead on the show who did security for the union tour. I was going to just going to kind of gush a little bit about how, you know, that concert in Nashville in 97 totally like saved my year that year. Cause it was not a good year for me, but, um, but yeah, like the reunion tour was fucking magical for me. I mean, and you did you see them in Madison? Uh, no, first one I went to was we traveled to Minneapolis, St. Paul, and seen them. Mm-hmm. And then when they came back around to Milwaukee, I went down there with somebody else and seen them there. Bradley Center. Yeah, with the big giant inflatables out front when he came walking up. Oh man, that was so cool. It was, it was fucking magical, right? Yeah, it was magical. It was it was justifying, you know. Like we've been talking about these last couple of weeks too, about how, you know, all the people that used to give you shit about liking Kiss, all of a sudden in '96, '97, are the biggest Kiss fans around, and they bought tickets yep. and they know it was the greatest show they ever seen. I've been saying that all along, you know, and I'd never even yep. seen Kiss live until the Revenge tour, you know. But it was like. You know, the the majesty of it all, the legacy of it all, and and how important it's always been to me. You know, and you talk about your dad getting it. I got a, was talking to my dad like a week or so ago, and he was like, yeah, I was listening to the radio, and this song came on, and I didn't know what it was. And he was like, man, wh- where do I know this? And he's like, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's Kiss. <laughs> that's awesome. My dad's one of the guys. He still picks on me for liking Kiss. Well, I remember. Um, well, I was like, I was following. That was right at the time, like ninety six, around nineties, early ninety six, was when I I finally kind of discovered the internet. So I was at college, and that was back in the days when you would like load a Kiss fan page, and it would take you know twenty minutes to load one page. Oh, wow! Um, and Kiss Asylum was like that was the site that they were tracking like every day on the reunion tour and it was such a cool concept at the time was it was like wow people that go to the shows can like email in their review of the show and give the set list and what happened and they were every so basically every day after a concert they would post what happened from the concert the the night before spoilers yeah it was like it was it was really but so like but it almost ruined it for me because the night before the Nashville show in 97 was the Columbus, Georgia show, which is infamous now because that was the show where Ed, Ed Cannon, Peter's drum tech, had to replace him. What was the deal with that? Why did that happen that way? From, from everything I gather was Peter's had, you know, carpal tunnel syndrome and his wrists were like in so much pain that he couldn't play the show. That's the official ah, story. Okay. Um, there's some people that say that he... He basically tried to like push them for more money, and he was just like, "I'm going to hold out." And they're like, "Well, fuck you. We're going to put your drum tech in." Pl-. I don't know if that's the case or not, but the drum tech stand there going, "What? What'd you just right. say? Oh yeah, so, shit, yeah. I'll, I'll go put it on now." So yeah, the drum tech plays the show in Columbus, and what it a goes dream. off. That but for that guy, wow. But but to me, as a Kiss fan, who you know, like Peter Chris was my first favorite member of the band. Um, I was like, oh my god, I want to see Peter Chris play. Right, and so I was a little nervous going into that show. On top of all the other stress I was going through, you trying to tell me but, you don't want to see somebody else just painted up like Peter Chris play? Uh, I see you. <laughs> uh, but uh, when they came out and they broke into Deuce, I knew it was Peter immediately. 
And uh, his solo, dude, I wish there was some actual footage of his solo from that night because he played like a man possessed. He'd like play like he had something to prove. That's and, awesome. And they were amazing. And I'll never forget the things that stand out for me were Come On and Love Me because that was kind of a new addition to the set list. And I always loved Come On and Love Me. So it was great to hear that. And then also I used binoculars because I was not in the great seats. I never had a lot of money back in those days. So I had binoculars, and I remember watching Gene fly up to the rafters and just being amazed watching him through the binoculars. It's like, wow, he looks it looks like the fucking 70s. Yeah. It was just – it just blew me away watching that live. See, I guess that's um, where I was lucky. I had no aspirations of going to college, so I took my ass straight to work. <laughs> and being young like that, I didn't really have a whole lot of bills. So, you know, the extra cash to pay for some KISS tickets to get me nice and close to the stage, man, it was worth it. And I did it both times. I mean, I didn't have horrible seats, but it was far enough back where I needed something to see. Yeah. And, um, but God, they were so good. I mean, it was... I'll never forget that show, and uh, and I remember everybody freaking out. It's one of those things where I don't know if it gets talked about enough, but Ace is definitely the fan favorite. So, like, every time Ace would take a solo, you would hear an audible, like, cheer because – there were so many Ace fans in the crowd. Well, and so that, was, you got to imagine yeah. how many people at that point said, you know, oh, Kiss, they ain't Kiss no more. They ain't got Ace Fraley. They don't wear yeah. the makeup. I am done. How many dropped off at Dynasty and then Unmasked and then what was left after The Elder, you know, and you know what happened to them at Creatures of the Night. There wasn't hardly anybody left. And then right. they took off the makeup and then it was a whole new generation of fans. So the old timers... Yeah really come back around in the 90s because they're getting to see what they knew. You know, this this is KISS. You know, we're coming back for that. And so what, what's what been the biggest missing component from KISS all them years? It's been Ace Fraley. Yeah, he had a he had his own cheering section. You bet. Sure. I was a big part of that. I was, I was very, very impressed with that. But it was just fucking magical. I mean, I, I'll never, you know, I'm just so glad I lived long enough to actually see that happen. I remember I would have dreams, before, even during the non-makeup years, I would have dreams that I was seeing the Kiss reunion tour. And yeah. I know that makes me sound like a nut, but I it's know. true. It is true. It's something that a fan of any other band wouldn't ever be able to truly comprehend. You know, the anticipation, the want, the the fantasizing about what it could have been. You know, imagine you had your favorite band right now, whoever it would be, but they were once so much better. But there's no reason why they can't be that again. You know, and so you're always going, why? Why can't it be this? Why can't it be this? And then it finally happens. It's it's a one-of-a-kind thing, you know, and that's what makes KISS the kind of band they are. And that's why true KISS fans understand why we are the way we are, you know, and, and why they are the way they are because it's all the same. You know, no matter where you came in on the KISS timeline, it always ends up meaning something to you if it's something that really speaks to you. You know, of course, the people that don't like Kiss. You know, we had a review last week. Is like, yeah, this show's great, <laughs> except for all the Kiss bullshit. You know? <laughs> but, uh, you know, and the people that are just kind of like, well, you know, Kiss is all right. There's not a whole lot of them. There's either they're the greatest or they're the worst. There's not a whole lot of kind of, yeah, Kiss is okay, I guess. You don't hear that a lot, you know. Yeah. But... It's one of them bands where, you know what, 
if you listen today, you can tell what a huge influence that band's had on me. You can tell what a huge influence the band's had on Chris. And, you know, it's, it's all good. You know, it's made us who we are. We were lucky, so lucky to have grown up a part of the Kiss timeline. And I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like, and I'll bust their balls on a lot of stuff nowadays, but I don't know, man. There, there's no band like them. I love them. I always will. Like, even no matter what ridiculous decisions they make going forward, I they will always be my favorite band. Amen to that. Well, that's the perfect way to wrap up Kissmas in July, I guess. You know, just you and me talking about what this band means to us and why we are the way we are. <laughs> Make the wives listen to this one. Oh, they already know. Yeah, they don't. They, they don't need to hear any more of this. All right. Well, there you guys have it. It's Christmas in July. This has been awesome. Like every year, we try to do it. We, I know, we always have a fun time with it. So you know, going forward, we'll see how this goes. But we got a bunch of cool stuff lined up. So stick with us. We're the Decibel Geek Podcast. Leave us those reviews and recommendations. Like our Facebook page. Check us out on Decibel Geek TV on the YouTube and all that good stuff. Man, thank you guys for coming along on this journey with us for Christmas in July. Chris, got anything to add before we rock on out of here? Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. And rock and roll all night and party every day.
Oh